Amen. You guys have a seat. Have a seat. Good morning. It's so good to be back here. Home. Uh, it was awesome being on the road last week to Creekside, and uh, we had a great service there last week. Uh, one service all together. We had something like almost 20 first-time guests. Um, we didn't get information from all of them. It was probably about 22, 23 first-time guests. We got information about 15, 16 of them. And so we've been following up this week, and as I said in the first service, I hope they get the Lindsay Lane bug and they want to come back. Um, so as we're praying for, uh, that they'll, they'll come back and be, be with us. But um, for the whole month of April, we've been looking deeply at this idea of who Jesus is. We've been looking, um, uh, beginning really with his life and ministry, and last Sunday we rolled all the way through to his resurrection. What we've been trying but what God's been showing to me and what I've been trying to help you understand as I am too is that oftentimes when we come to, to, to most stories in our lives, but especially the story of Jesus, we come and we see it only through our lens and, and we begin to realize that the best thing in the world, the thing that makes Jesus' his, his death and who he was most important must be what he did for me. <laughs> um, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Man, how can it get any better than that? Um, and it's true, right, for us personally. But what we begin to realize, we begin to look at the Bible. Uh, we're doing this series called Christ the Fulfillment. What we're seeing is that the biggest thing that Christ did, yes, he saved us, but he was a fulfillment of things that were being talked about for thousands of years before him. Like, that's a big deal. That adds weight and heaviness to what Jesus did. And Jesus wasn't just the answer for, for your sin and for my sin. He was the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ who had come to redeem mankind from sin and to restore all of creation to its original intent. And so when we zoom back and we see this big picture of Jesus and his coming, we, it seems so much bigger than we originally thought. And so we started off by looking at his life and ministry and, and how, yes, Jesus did incredible miracles and it was awesome, but those miracles were, were fulfilling some Old Testament things that God's people had been waiting for. And then we looked at his death and sacrifice. And yes, it was for your sins. Yes, he redeemed you by his blood. But it was more than that. In his death and sacrifice, he was fulfilling Old Testament stuff all the way back to the Passover. And then on Easter Sunday, uh, we talked about two goats. And that was the creepiest Easter sermon I've ever preached. But, uh, but the point of all that was, was to help us understand um, that that, that Jesus and his burial and resurrection, that there was a depth to that. And there's a story behind it I'm going to tell before we get into it. Um, so the, the last church I served in, I served under two different pastors. Um, uh, no, I'm sorry, the first church I served in, I served under two different pastors. The second pastor I served with, um, uh, he, he wanted to do like an Easter, uh, Easter message thing, like leading up to Easter. He wanted to preach uh, the last week of Jesus' life. And so I said, okay. So the Sunday before... Um, I preached on uh, the Palm Sunday, if you know, the Sunday before Jesus, his resurrection, before his death. Um, there's a thing we call Palm Sunday. So I preached that message. And Wednesday night, he did like the death of Christ, kind of the Friday message. He backed it up to Wednesday. And uh, he said, I'll get Easter. He said, you do the sunrise service. We had a 630 sunrise service. He said, and you preach on the burial. The burial. And I was like, I thought he was joking. Because I was like, what do you say about it? Like, they put him in there. You know what I mean? Like, I, don't, I didn't know what to say. And so um, I just really got, I really had to study a whole lot. And honestly, Sunday's message, the Easter message that we talked about, the burial and resurrection, literally came out of me just going before God and going, God, I don't know what my pastor wants me to say about the burial. 
But there's going to be a group of people gathered at sunrise, and they got up early to come here at God, please say something. And uh, so it, Sunday's sermon was was uh, was something that God laid on my heart to, to preach at a sunrise service a long time before that. But anyway, um, so I want to read this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, go on and turn there. Um, we're going to be looking at this, uh, starting in verse 32. We'll be there. I'll give you about five seconds to click or flip there. And we got to roll. Time's up. This is what the word of the Lord says. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this opportunity to stand before you, God, to open up your word. And God, uh, God, just to, I pray, uh, God, I thank you for the opportunity to, to try to, uh, to show God to this church family and God, what you've laid on my heart to say this morning. Um, and God, I'm so thankful for the privilege to do that. And God, I pray that today uh, you would teach us to know you and you would be with us. It's in Jesus name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, when we think about the gospel of Jesus, you're not familiar with that word gospel, it's the good news. When we think about the good news of Jesus, oftentimes people say, what's so good about Jesus? It was the first thing you think of should probably be, uh, he died on your cross for your sins. And so when you ask people, what's the gospel of Jesus, that's, what's the good news of Jesus, they'll say, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And that's 100% absolutely spot on. Some other people will take it another step. And they'll say, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and then he was raised up on the third day. He died for your sins and was raised up to give you life. Ah, now, see, it's a little bit more. And oftentimes, that's where we stop. We stop there with Jesus' resurrection. But you know the story of Jesus didn't stop there, right? The story of Jesus did not stop there. Um, and so today, we're going to look at these two fancy, fancy words. I'm trying to impress you with some language today, Okay. You see it on your handout. It's the ascension and session of Jesus. I'm using those terms because if you ever Google some stuff, these are words that you're going to read on some blogs and theological stuff, and you're going to go, what in the world does that mean? I'm going to try to help you see it, okay? Uh, so the ascension of Christ uh, literally means to ascend. So we're going to talk about what that is. And session is just an old school English word that means to sit. So to, to ascend and to sit. That's what the two words mean. So we're going to talk about those today. Only two points. I mean, come on. We're going to get out of here not too late. All right, here we go. Um, so the first thing that we see in the text, Acts chapter 2, it, and just so you know, this is Peter. Um, after Jesus ascends into heaven, we're going to talk about that in here in a second, but uh, he, uh, a few days uh, at the next big festival, he sends the Holy Spirit uh, to indwell the believers there. Uh, so the apostles are experiencing life in a way in which God intended uh, for those who have trusted in Christ. They're experiencing this this passion, this spirit-filled passion. They don't know what to do with it. And so Peter begins to preach. And this is part of his message. And so again, verse 32 says this, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. What I want to show you today is point number one, Jesus' ascension as the Son of Man. 
So Peter mentions Jesus being raised, that God has raised this Jesus. Now, the big question is, does Peter mean raised from the dead? Absolutely. Absolutely he did, because Peter was acknowledging that all of the disciples had witnessed Jesus after he had risen from the dead. He came and spoke with them. He spent about a month of time appearing to them, spending time with them, teaching them about his kingdom, literally sharing meals with them. But there was another raising that had just taken place just a short time earlier. Luke writes about this in the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 9. After Jesus had said these things, he was doing some teaching. He was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, think just several days later. You think Peter's forgetting that moment? <laughs> no, he ain't forgetting that. That's something he carried with him. Talking to a raised person, someone who, who you knew was dead, is now alive. That's a big deal. Watching them float up into the sky till you can't see them anymore, I'm not forgetting that either. And that's what the disciples have just experienced. Jesus, you see, Jesus wasn't just raised from the realm of the dead to the realm of the living. He was also raised from the realm of earth to the realm of heaven. And the disciples had all seen it. It appeared as if Jesus was riding on the clouds on his way out. That's what he says. A cloud took him out of their sight. If you've ever... I remember being at a birthday party uh, one time. Uh, it was one of my Kelly's cousin's sons, and they let balloons go. You ever watch the balloon go up in the sky? And it'll kind of hide behind a cloud for a second, but then you can see it again. Ah, yeah. And you just keep watching it until it just, okay, now I lost it. I don't know where it is. I can remember doing that that day because it was a boring party. And um, <laughs> it was a kid's party. It wasn't boring. For, it was boring for me. Um but like that's what they were doing. They were watching Jesus. They had seen this cloud take him out of their sight. But what we don't realize is, unless you're just studying the Old Testament like a boss, like the first century believers did, what we don't realize is that this is not a new biblical image. Jesus, so, uh, someone riding on clouds, that's not a new idea. The disciples already had a category for this, and it comes from a name that Jesus called himself quite often. Do you know what Jesus' favorite nickname to use about himself was? Ah, I get to tell you. Uh, some of y'all are whispering it. Okay, here we go. I'm going to keep going. I'll tell you in a second. He was called the Christ by many people, the Messiah. He was called the Son of God by Peter. He was called the Lamb of God by John the Baptizer. He was called the Son of Abraham by Matthew and many other things. But Jesus most often called himself Son of Man. And that sounds like Jesus is just trying to downplay how awesome he was. Hey, I'm just a son of man. I'm just like you, Matt. I'm just, I'm just, I just, just born of a woman, just like you. And it sounds like Jesus is kind of playing up his humanity a little bit. But the son of man was a term that dates back about 500 years to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel was a young Jewish man who wound up serving as an exile in Babylon after the nation of Israel and Judah fell to the Babylonians, if you're familiar with the history, you're loving me just talking about it. But if you don't read it, the book, it's all, it's in there. And the first half or so of Daniel's writing is this narrative. It's telling stories about Daniel. If you know Daniel in the lion's den, if you're familiar with that. If you grew up in church, you went to Sunday school, VBS, whatever, as a kid, you colored a picture of Daniel with a bunch of lions around him. You did that. 
Um, you also hear the story in the book of Daniel about his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they were thrown into this oven pit thing with fire. <laughs> and you probably colored that picture too. And all of it was because they wouldn't worship the false gods of Babylon. But in the second half of the book of Daniel, it becomes very prophetic. It's, it's visions and dreams and tons of creepy imagery as you're reading it. One of the most well-known parts, uh, most quoted parts of the book by Jesus' day and still today comes from chapter 7. And we see a powerful one, a king who's riding on clouds. Look at this with me, Daniel 7 verse 13. I continued watching, this is Daniel writing, I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly one like a, what? Son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, which by this point Daniel has confirmed. That's, that's our God, that's the God, Yahweh. And he was escorted before him. So Daniel uses this simple phrase, like a son of man. But this phrase by Jesus' day was being hyperlinked by rabbis and teachers. They, were, they would use this son of man language and they were, they were pointing back to this in Daniel 7.13. It was no longer a lowly title, but it was one of authority that pointed back to this moment. So when Jesus calls himself the son of man, everybody around knew what he meant. He's echoing back to this vision. So Jesus himself made this connection. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. I encourage you to write it all down because you're not going to be able to flip there. Jesus had made this connection himself. Matthew 24, verses 29 through 30. Uh, immediately after the distress of those days, Jesus is speaking of something that would happen in the future for them. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the peoples of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You see this, there's this sky-riding Son of Man who comes with power and glory. And I know what you're thinking because you're, you're, just, you're a good, level-headed, thinking person. Heath, Daniel says that the Son of Man is going with the, or coming with the clouds. But in Acts, Jesus is going with the clouds. It doesn't fit. Are you sure this is it? Jesus rides the clouds out of their sight, but we see the Son of Man coming with the clouds. So are these two things connected? Here's what's beautiful. Acts, go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 9. The disciples are there, and they're watching Jesus, and he just floats up like that balloon at the birthday party. And they just stand there, exactly like you would if you've been following this guy you think is the Messiah, and then he leaves you. You would stand there and stare too. And it says, uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 11 says that an angel came and stood among them as they're all staring. And he comes and this is what he says. Men of Galilee, psst, what are you doing? Why do you stand there looking up into heaven? Listen to this. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going. How did he go? In the clouds. How's he coming? In the clouds. This is the point. This is the sky rider is not only received into heaven, but he will once again come to the earth just like the Son of Man in Daniel. Jesus riding on the clouds. Jesus, by being taken up from heaven and or from the earth to heaven in this way, is fulfilling a long-awaited prophecy. For 500 plus years, the Jews have been waiting for this Son of Man who's a sky rider. They didn't even know what it meant. It sounds creepy. Who is this Son of Man? 
But the heaviness of why they were so passionate for it was in Daniel 7, verse 14. I didn't read it for to you earlier because I wanted to build suspense. <laughs> why were they so passionate? Why did they want to see this Son of Man? And it happens in verse 14. He was given, after he comes on the clouds, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, language, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. You see, Daniel tells us that the skyrider will return to earth with power and will rule every people group, nation, and language. And this is Jesus. There's tons more I want to go into there, but I, but I want to stop here because it fits so perfectly. So let's sidestep into point two, and then we'll come back and carry this thing through. Looking back at Peter's message in Acts 2, he says in verse 33, Therefore, since he's been taken up, and we've seen him, we, God raised him up, we know that. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God, and has received from the Father the whole promised Holy Spirit. He has poured out what you both see in here. You see this. Jesus didn't just ascend to heaven to hang out and play a waiting game. Just to, to, to just chill out. Side note. Do you remember what you used to do like when you went to the doctor and had to wait in the big waiting room or the little waiting room? Before cell phones? Milk magazines, twiddle your thumbs, like, I don't know, crossword puzzle. I don't know what you did, but uh, it seems like forever ago, and yet it seems like yesterday. Um, anyway, but Jesus isn't go. He, wasn't, he didn't ascend into heaven just to sit there and twiddle his thumbs or play on his phone or, or, or play golf in heaven, whatever. Like, he's not up there waiting to be able to come back and receive the power and the glory that is promised him. Because he was exalted to a place of power and authority. This is point number two. Jesus' seat at God's right hand. The session of Christ. Jesus was raised up to sit on a throne that is at God the Father's right hand. And that's where he is now. People ask me, I've been asked that before, where's Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the Father. The right hand is representative of power and protection the first use of God's right hand in the story of the Bible is from the book of Exodus. God's people are enslaved in Egypt and God brings a heavy hand of judgment on Pharaoh and the people and he leads them out of slavery and into freedom. And then in response to that, the people say this, Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. And again, a few verses later, Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. Do you see this? This is a, The right hand of God is one of power and authority. So for Jesus to be sitting on a throne is a big deal. But for Peter to say specifically that he is exalted to the right hand of God that's a heavy way of saying he's ruling with the authority of God himself. Jesus himself even made this statement, Matthew 26. But I tell you, in the future, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds. 
the Son of Man, seated at God's right hand as the cloud rider, but also in power. Jesus is making heavy claims about himself that Peter is later echoing in Acts chapter 2. And then there seems to be, as you're reading this, Peter takes like this crazy, off-the-wall, it seems, shift. And he mentions David, which by this point hasn't said really anything about King David, King David being from the Old Testament. So he says, For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but David himself said, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David was around about a thousand years before Jesus. This is where context matters so much. Just like the Daniel image, that son of man image, would have been super familiar with the original audience, so would Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a, is, a, is, a, is a song, a poem that was written by King David. And it would have been very familiar with them because it sounds weird. And uh, it's the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's, that's from Psalm 110. Because it's, it sounds weird because the Lord declared to my Lord. So who's the Lord and who's my Lord? I got questions and you probably do too. And so it helps for us just to go quickly back to Psalm 110. Let's look at it. What's he quoting? He's quoting Psalm 110 verse 1. This is what it says from Psalm 110. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, we're going to have a little Bible reading 101 for a moment, so bear with me. What do you notice different about those two words, Lord, up there? One of them's in all caps. And if you don't know this yet, you're about to, and you're going to see the Bible in a whole new way, because when you see the Lord or the word God in all caps, you need to take notice. There's a very particular Hebrew word that's being used there. And it's the word, it's the name Yahweh, the name that Israel used for their God. It's what we see him, it's the person, almost the, the, the intimate name of God. And so when you see the word Lord in all caps, you need to take notice that that's a, the author is intentionally doing that. And so it says this is a declaration of the Lord Yahweh to my Lord, and we don't get it in all caps. So this guy's not real important. Not as important, okay? Not as important. It's using a different. This, this is just simply the word that means boss or master. And so from what Peter said back in Acts 2, it seems like there must have been a view in the day that David was referring to himself, right? That David is saying, uh, that David is saying that the Lord Yahweh said to me, I'm the Lord. I'm, I'm the little case Lord. You know, the little one that didn't have the caps. David was a king. David could have called himself a Lord. He was a master. He was a boss. And he was definitely one who the enemies, his enemies were made a footstool in a lot of ways. But this is what Peter says about it. In a lot of Psalm 110, that sit at my right hand, David, until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter makes this argument. David didn't ascend into heaven. He didn't go to God's right hand. But somebody did. Right? David didn't go to God's right hand to receive his kingly authority. He sat on his throne on earth. 
So Peter's argument is that this must be someone else. David was speaking prophetically of his own Lord, someone who was more powerful than him, who would be asked to sit at Yahweh's right hand. And then Peter ends with this word, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both, he uses two words, both Lord, tying back into Psalm 110, saying he's the one who's seated at God's right hand, and the Messiah, the Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified is both King and Christ. That would have fallen on heavy ears, no doubt, or fallen heavy on their ears anyway. It would have been tough to hear if they believed. Peter, wow, you're telling the truth here. Oh, man, we killed him. Shoot. (laughs) Like at this point, if they believe Peter, then they're freaking out because we just killed the guy who's now seated at God's right hand. We shouldn't have done that. But if they didn't believe him, they would have been infuriated that he would make such a claim. But Peter knew it to be true. Not only did Jesus die for Peter's own personal sins, he had proven himself to be the sky-riding son of man that Daniel had talked about five to six hundred years before, and he was the king on the throne at the right hand of God who David had spoken of a thousand years before. You see how this adds depth to who Jesus is. Do you see the heaviness again when we call him Christ? All of these images are wrapped up in that title, and it's not just about what Christ did for me, but it's about what Christ has been doing and what he's fulfilling. Long before the, uh, the, the battle uh, between Russia and Ukraine, all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, back several, several years ago, uh, the previous church I served in, they had a foreign exchange student who was from Ukraine. And uh, he was there, I was a student, um, in the ministry and uh, knew English okay, you know, enough to communicate. And um, so our youth pastor tells the story that he uh, he looked at it, he had like a notebook one day and there was this cool looking like a shield on the front of it, you know. And he said, hey man, what's the significance of that? Uh, you know, it was around Harry Potter time. So I was like, what a Harry Potter thing? And he's like, no, it's my family crest, which is just so cool, right? I have a family crest. As I told the first service, mine would just be like a McDonald's M. Like that would just be Taco Bell. I don't know what our crest would be. Whatever, whatever it is. But he said, this is my family crest. And there were all these little emblems, all these little images on there. And he said, man, what do those mean? He began to walk through those one at a time. And what my youth pastor buddy began to realize is, and I don't have the exact date. I could have Googled it. I didn't. Okay. Sorry. But the, the nation... Ukraine has been around for four to five times longer than the United States. Think about that for a minute. And so what my youth pastor began to recognize is, man, like I think in my heart that like there's nobody more patriotic than me. Like, I, you know, I've got the, he wears the American flag shorts at 4th of July. Like, I mean, he loves his country. And he was thinking, man, I, I love my country. There's no way I could love my country more. And here's a guy who's tracing his his heritage of his country back over a thousand years. And what he began to realize is that, man, there is a connection, there is a depth and a beauty to when you're, you're talking about four or five times of history, four or five times of hardships, four or five times the amount of good times and, and happy times. When you, when, when you begin to see, the longer you can look back into history, the more you appreciate 
where you are today. And I'm saying the same thing is about Jesus, guys. Yes, he died on the cross for your sins. And yes, that's going to change your trajectory going forward. But what you got to recognize is that Jesus is, Jesus, this Christ, he's one who, who's going back five and six hundred years, a thousand years, these prophecies that were made about him, and he fulfills them. We need to begin to recognize that, that he's bigger than just my personal savior. He's the one, as I already said, who, who came to redeem all of creation. It's adding a depth and a heaviness to the name Christ. When we call Jesus the Christ, we are acknowledging that all of these images that we've talked about, right? and I know some of you haven't been here all the way through April, but the Son of Man, the Lord in Psalm 110, the Passover lamb, the scapegoat, the sacrificial goat, all of these images that we've been laying out through April, when we call Jesus the Christ, we are acknowledging that those things are fulfilled in Jesus. And as the Christ, the Messiah, he sits right now on a throne ruling over the cosmos. That's why Paul would write years later, he is before all things and by him all things hold together. Jesus' throne is one that involves all of creation. He is actively engaging in a king-like rule over every molecule of creation. So let me ask you something that's super intense. Do you acknowledge his reign in your life? Do you live your life like Jesus is actually on the throne? Now, we're so Western-minded, individualistic, and democratic, right? We want a democracy. We want to say who's in charge. Hey, we need to put that to a vote, God, right? Like, we ought to get to cast a vote who's on the throne. I get to wake up in the morning, and I decide who's on the throne. This is my life. It's not the way we see God's interaction with his creation in the Bible. <laughs> Maybe a great way to run the government. Not how God set up the world. It's much more like a kingdom. Jesus is the one on the throne, whether you choose to acknowledge it or not. We don't get to say things like, hashtag not my king. They don't work with God. He's on the throne, whether you choose it or not. He's the king. We simply get to choose whether we will follow his leadership or live in rebellion to his authority. That's the two choices on the table. Most of humanity, I'll bet you can guess, it's about looking around at the world. They've chosen their path for now. But I'm not talking about them. Because for whatever reason, they're not in this room today. But you are. You are. So I'm asking you today, are you living today as if Jesus is the one who gets to call the shots? Or are you living as a rebel in God's kingdom? That's it. You don't get to sit on the fence post and ride it out, baby. You choose. You will get tired of, you will fall one way or the other. <laughs> you ever try to sit on a fence post? I met a lady this morning. She said, hey, I've sat on an electric fence before. That's tough. That's what we're talking about. You can't sit on the fence. You are either living today in rebellion against God or you are choosing to acknowledge that he is on the throne. This is the choice. 
And there is a day coming that I've got to tell you about in which no one will have a choice anymore. God will send the Son of Man back to the earth riding on the same clouds He received Him into heaven on and He will bring to the earth a real physical rain like the one that's already in existence but we'll see it with our eyes and at that point there will be no rebellion. There will only be submission to Christ. The great King. The Bible is clear that you need to decide before that day comes whether you choose to acknowledge Jesus' rule and reign. Before that day comes, you need to decide. If you've never trusted in this sky-riding son of man, Lord sitting on a throne named Jesus, we want to talk with you today about how you can. The Bible says we need to turn from our sin and believe Jesus was who he said he was. That's what it means to repent. It means to do exactly what we're talking about. I, I pray this so often. Uh, I pray I pray this, I feel like, ten times in the last three days. God, when left to ourselves, we make a mess. When I put my hands on something, I make a mess of it. That's what it means. God, this life I'm trying to live right now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing, and I'm still piling up sins. I'm making a mess of this. I'm going to just leave all that and just turn to you. That's what repentance means. It also says we need to repent, we need to turn from our sin, but we need to believe Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus was a great teacher, absolutely. Jesus was a, was a good Jewish rabbi. He was probably a cool hang. <laughs> he was more than that. Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who from the very beginning was promised he would come and bring restoration to creation. Would love to help you take that step today to trust in Christ. So we're going to sing another song this morning as a way to worship this Jesus who's so much bigger than we give him credit for. Our picture of Jesus oftentimes limits him to being just slightly bigger than our own personal sin. Um, I trusted in Christ when I was seven years old, and some of y'all think that's nuts. <laughs> I don't care what you think. I trusted in Jesus when I was seven years old. And when I was seven, I don't know, I didn't have a list of my sins. Um, There's probably a lot of them. But in the scheme of things, I was not dealing drugs, murdering, like doing anything inappropriate with, you know, whatever. Right? Like, uh, that was not me. I was seven years old. Like, I was lying to my parents and being mean to my sister. Like, that was a lot of my sin. But it was enough to separate me from God. And so when I began to trust in Christ, and I talk to parents about this who have kids who trust early in life, oftentimes what happens is my sin was this big because there wasn't a lot of it. So Jesus just had to be this big, right? Now, what happened when I became a teenager? What are y'all nodding your heads for? <laughs> okay. There was more, more on this side, <laughs> My sins became much larger. The stuff I was encountering, the stuff I was given into became much bigger. It wasn't just lying to my parents and being mean to my sister. It was things that were deplorable, ter- terrible, awful things. That's who I was. And so my sin grew. <laughs> what I had to recognize is that Jesus was never just a little bit bigger than my sin. <laughs> he was infinitely larger than my sin. 
No matter how many sins I piled up on this side, he was always larger. And then now as I'm a 35-year-old man and I'm studying about all of this that we've been talking about for this month, and I realize not only that, he's bigger than all of our sins in the room and every Christian who's ever lived and, 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 and even the, the sins of the Jewish people back then and, and, and the, the, the depths of evil in the world all the way back to Babylon and, and all of this. Jesus is larger than all of that. The, our picture of Jesus limits him to being just slightly bigger than our own personal sin, but he encompasses a whole lot more than your sin. Maybe today, for the first time in a while or ever, you need to acknowledge for your sake that Jesus is on the throne and he's in charge and he's so much bigger. And you can worship through this song we're going to sing here in a minute today in a new way. And maybe some of us, as I've had to do this week, remind myself that he calls us shots. Quit acting like you do. Quit acting like you're in charge. Quit acting like you think you got it together, like you're a good dude. No, you're not. I need to stop living in rebellion to his leading. Instead, I need to submit. And that's hard for me to think about. But when Jesus is on the throne, I need to submit to his leadership. This, would be, this next song would be a great time to tell God that. Whatever you need to do in the next moments, you need to do it. Uh, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to slide back to the back of the room like, I, like I've been doing. And if you need help taking a next step today to trust in Christ for the first time, I'm going to be back there. Love to talk with you. Love to help you figure out how you can take a step to begin to follow Jesus. Uh, if you want to join a group, if you want to talk to us, we got our membership course coming up next week. There's a lot going on. If you need to help taking a next step, what's the next step God wants you to do? I'm going to be back there in the back just to talk with you. Um, the altar will be open for you to come and lift up prayers for other people or for yourself. Um, but man, we just want to give you an opportunity to respond to how God may have spoken to you today. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to go back there and we'll stand and sing after I say amen. Father, we thank you. God, just for the opportunity. God, to lift up our voices to you and God to, uh, God, to hear from your word. And God, I'm so thankful um, that Jesus is not only bigger than my sin, but he's bigger than everything. God, that we all the evil in the world, God, the depths of depravity that exist on this earth, God, he's larger than that. And God, your plan goes back a lot farther than the Haney family name. Back to the very beginning, God, that you had a plan for mankind and we blew it up, but you want to restore it through Jesus. And God, I'm thankful that I am one person God, among many who have been changed because of who Jesus was. And I pray that over these people today, God, who have gathered that Lindsay here to be a part of Lindsay Lane East. God, I pray that you would, uh, if there's anybody here, God, who's never trusted in, in Christ, that they would today, that come talk to us and take that next step. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship. God, we pray that you would uh, be glorified through our response today. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, let's stand, sing, respond however you need to.